Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. You may or may not be aware of this, but anti-Semitism is on the rise for the past 10 years or more. 47% jump from 2015 to 2017 of incidences and a 34% rise from 2020 to 2021, including incidences that are more severe like the shootings in Pittsburgh. Why is it happening? What can you do? You know, as Christians, we're called to stand up against this. And, and where do we go for direction? Well, on our show today, we have Kasim Hafiz, a Pakistanian who grew up in Britain to become a radicalized Muslim. And yet, something changed. And he willingly investigated his biases and now travels as a representative for Christians United for Israel to speak against anti-Semitism. He is releasing a film to help inform others about the wrong views of anti-Semitism, and it's called Never Again. It's coming out June 7th, and he has a a Jewish survivor from the Holocaust, Irving Roth, who's there with him, and I'm I'm telling you, it is such an impactful story. So I'd just like to applaud Kasim for what he's doing and welcome him to In Awe by Bruce. Kasim, welcome. Thank you, and thank you for having me on the show. It's an honor to be here. We're glad to have you. And so the first thing probably people are thinking, okay, how did you go from being a radicalized, or how did you get to being a radicalized Muslim, and then look like you jumped the tracks to all of a sudden you're you're supporting Israel and the Jewish people? Maybe give us some of the background on that. So I grew up in England. I was born in England. Uh, my family had come from Pakistan. So I, I grew up in a fairly observant Muslim household. And I think this is very common with new immigrant communities anywhere in the world. And a lot of times, those communities will kind of live in close proximity to, to each other. Uh, I think that is just one of those things. So I grew up in a predominantly Pakistani Muslim neighborhood in the UK. And Look, anti-Semitism was just a, and and also like anti-Western ideas were pretty much just part and parcel of daily life. And what's really interesting with the anti-Semitism is that one, we weren't in contact with the Jewish community or a Jewish community in my city. And two, you know, being of Pakistani heritage, Pakistan shares no borders or direct conflicts or anything with. Israel or has not, you know, hasn't had a significant Jewish population since before the partition. So it was really, in hindsight, it was really strange that these anti-Semitic views were so prevalent in my family, in my community, you know, mixed in with, you know, this crossover of anti-Semitism and anti-Israel views. But it was, I think this is the, the thing that's really key. When you constantly hear something when you're younger, that becomes a fact. So for me, the idea that the Jews control the world are waging some sort of secret war on Muslims or doing all these evil things, when you hear them over and over again, you don't have any way to show you the truth. You know, I wasn't in, I didn't have Jewish friends. I didn't know anybody Jewish who could have humanized the Jewish people. 
So those lies and the, that those comments become your absolute reality. So for me, these comments, this anti-Semitism was just factual. It wasn't an opinion. It wasn't some bigotry. It was just, this is the reality. So growing up with that and, and just a mixture of other things growing up where I did, there's, look, I've lived in the United States for, I want to say four years now. And I lived in Canada for a few years before that. And, but I spent, uh, you know, over 25 years of my life in England. And mm -hmm. I know that the race conversation is a very tricky and complicated one in the United States. But I will say to anyone who will listen, there are bigger issues for me in Europe than there are in the US. Really? And 100%. Because while, you know, Canada and the US have their unique challenges, I believe, and I this is from personal experience, mm -hmm. there is a an American or what you perceive as an American is not a racial identity. If somebody says, you know, what does an American look like, you will get a plethora of views. And for me, being British and living here, I feel I've been accepted as an American, even though I have this accent, very quickly. And, and that was my experience in Canada, too. Now, in the UK and Europe in general, there's a massive disconnect where there's a perception with far too many people in that continent that to be European, you have to be white. And that's why you see Muslim communities from a Pakistani heritage or Bangladeshi heritage or in France, for example, North African heritage. While they're born in France or England and English or French is their first language, they're culturally French or British they still feel like outsiders in the country. And, and huh. that kind of goes in, in a long way to explaining why so many young Muslims from Europe joined ISIS compared to how many young Muslims from North America joined ISIS. Gotcha. There's, there's a much bigger feeling of not feeling part of the country you're born in. And that's a huge problem. If you're hmm. British and born in Britain and you don't feel part of it, you fall into this victim mindset and then you're e it's easy to be manipulated by extremist organizations like, like I was. So you, you, you feel like an outsider and you become very almost stuck in this loop of your own victimhood. And then you're very easy to manipulate because, <laughs> look, I grew up with statements from extremist groups such as the West is at war with Islam. And now, if you break that down, what does that even mean? I yeah. mean it, 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 makes, it makes no sense. It's just what does that mean? But when you already feel that you're being deprived or you're not truly part of the society you live in, it creates young, angry, in my case, men who feel isolated from society. They feel that they're victims of society. And when you believe you're a victim and you're not actually a victim, you can't address that victimhood. Like, who do you go to to fix this problem? Because the problem is almost is manufactured. Mm -hmm. So you're angry and you, you're, you're looking for someone to blame. And in this case, the Jews were, were the perfect group to blame because already there were these big trees that sadly were inherent to the community I grew up in. Wow. So how did that lead then to you changing? Because I'd like you to talk about Horowitz's uh, book and maybe yeah. how open, what made you open enough to investigate your biases? I think initially picking up the, the book, The Case for Israel by Alan Dershowitz, it was out of arrogance. You know, I'm, I was a college student. I believe that I knew 100% that I was right. And this was going to give me a window into just how wrong the other side is. And the book 
presented me with questions in terms of because I was in my own echo chamber, you know, and that's what people do. You once you believe something, you surround yourself in an echo chamber of that. And that's exactly where I was. And this was poking holes in some of the truths that I believed in. So I went on this. I I had to validate my own lies, essentially, because I was at my most extreme at this point. And yeah, we talk about this uh, in the documentary in a little bit more detail, but I was at my most extreme and ready to do something more than just speaking and protesting. You know, I come across this book, it presents a few questions, and I, I dismiss them as, you know, this is just propaganda, I can easily validate, you know, what I've always believed. And, you know, it's almost like finding a, I guess, you know, some masonry in a wall, which isn't properly done, and you start digging and the wall starts to crumble. But still, you don't want to give up on the illusion, but because this is what I believed. I ha- yeah. It's not that simple. And that would eventually lead me to Israel, the Jewish state. And, you know, I went alone, didn't know anybody. I wasn't looking. I, my intentions weren't this noble fact-finding mission, it was to validate my own bigotry and hatred firsthand. You know, I believe that if I went there, I would see the racism and apartheid and, you know, the very worst of the Jewish world. And I didn't. I saw reality, you know. And, (laughs) you know, seeing that reality firsthand, I felt a responsibility to kind of speak out against the poison which had poisoned me, essentially, and the poison that I myself had spread with these lies and bigotry. And, What's really interesting is when you take a position or you've grown up with something and you believe that's the truth, and then you experience the real truth, there are so many people who you grew up with, family, who are ready to dismiss your experiences or what you say simply because they refuse to give up their own version of reality, regardless of how factual it is. Yeah. We all have confirmation bias, right? So we're we're looking right. for support of what we believe. Right, hundred percent. And just a quick change. <laughs> I said the wrong name earlier. I meant to say Alan Dershowitz, who uh, wrote the case for Israel. He's the Harvard professor. So, yeah. Um, and you got to meet him. You, he's in the movie. So that's that was really yes. great to see you two sitting together. Yeah, no, it was, a, it was a really great conversation we had. And, and unfortunately, like anything, there was only so much we could keep in the movie but we had uh, a really great conversation i i you could tell um (laughs) and what led you then to uh going to israel and start to check things out it was you know the the final trying to validate my previous bigotries which were essentially falling down in the face of reading even like non-biased history books, which I don't know if they exist anymore, but once upon a time when they did. <laughs> so going to Israel was almost this kind of final hope to see the very worst. And yeah, I, you know, going there and just seeing things firsthand and experiencing things with my own eyes, you get to a point where you either accept reality or you choose to live in ignorance intentionally, like you're willfully choosing to, to live in ignorance. And that really was it for me, just to, to I went to confer, I went with an agenda with negative attentions, essentially, but uh-huh. the reality was one which was completely inescapable. 
when you were talking about coming to the airport and they detained you for, I forget how many hours, but eight hours, yeah, that the Israeli uh, guard who was there with you, how I kept feeding you food and trying to take care of you. When when I went into Israel, we came in from Amman, Jordan, oh, wow. and it was really tough coming from Amman, and one of our people had an Israeli passport stamp on theirs, yeah. which our leader told us to make sure we didn't have any. Uh, yeah. So we barely made it across after she got an updated passport. But first thing, we get over to Israel, and this bearded soldier walks onto the bus and looks at all of us. And, you know, it's kind of frightening. He's got his Uzi and everything. And then he looks around. There's a woman with a guitar and stuff. She goes, hey, do you know any John Denver? <laughs> and it was just like. He just broke the ice right there, and right. You, you know we all started singing, and he, he turns out he was from Chicago, and so it was, oh, wow. just, it was just fun. Right, no, for sure, and that's what is often lost in, especially now, but just in general, we look at, we we are so quick to dehumanize people and groups and nationalities based on whatever myths or stereotypes. That, that we grow up with or we, we pick up in life. Yes. And it, it seems like, just like when I went into Jerusalem, you found the same thing. Instead of it being where I felt all this, these forces against each other, there was some of that, but not much. Most of it was people, like you said, living their daily lives in and amongst one another. And there were people from all different makes there. Right. And that's so eye-opening because, you know, from the time when we, I was in Israel a few months ago now, and from the time you leave your hotel just to go to get coffee, you know, two blocks away, you will encounter people from every part of Israeli society just living life, you know, mm -hmm. from working jobs. Like, you know, you, you go to an aroma coffee and half the staff maybe. Arab Israelis, some will be Jewish Israelis from various backgrounds. And again, that it's sadly that sort of day-to-day -day normalcy isn't newsworthy. Like, mm -hmm. It isn't. And it's just really sad. So it, it's just, again, it, we live in an age of kind of this, we look for the most dramatized and sensationalist headlines. And I mean, you probably saw this firsthand, you know, Israel, historical perspectives, the technology, all these things are incredible and, and amazing. Yes. But the kind of normalcy of it, too, on a day-to-day -day basis, from what you read in the news, which you're expecting almost this war zone. You're, you're expecting something, you know, akin to a war zone. But day-to-day, -day, it's fairly regular. People are going about their day-to-day -day lives. Yes. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a really interesting juxtaposition. As you saw this and all these pieces started falling together, how did you end up meeting Mr. Roth, who had been through two different death camps? How did that How did that come about? He's kind of so, become your partner, that Irving's become your partner in this whole thing. I think it would have been around 2012, 2013. In my, uh, let's say, reception from my own community and family, as I became more vocal, uh, was very hostile. And, mm. you know, the, I, it's supposed to be very difficult 
living day-to-day life getting constant death threats i mean you get on with it but there's a point where it's like this is no longer fun you know this yeah this is not how i want to kind of live the rest of my life so i decided to move to canada initially and i i was doing some speaking some writing but you know in the uk i had a full-time job so it wasn't it wasn't something i was doing it was something i was doing when i had the time too and i was a few months into being in Canada, they'd reached out to me before I moved, but uh, Christians United for Israel reached out out of the blue. I'd never heard of this organization asking if I would be willing to do a speaking tour with them, a campus speaking tour. I'd never heard of them. And, you know, I was living in Winnipeg, Canada, and it was negative uh, 20. <laughs> and they were saying, do you want to come to California for a week? to do a speaking tour. I mean, you know, I didn't have a job at this point. I was like, eh, you know what, what have I got to lose other than defrosting? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I agreed. And uh, as part of that speaking tour, it was with Irving Roth and uh, Father Gabriel Nadav, who is a Greek Orthodox priest and Israeli who has been very vocal about the Christian community in Israel becoming more active in the idf and other facets of public service in israel Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i met him at a point even though i was doing this speaking tour i met him at a point where i was kind of at a crossroads where you know i've just left my life behind in england moved Mm -hmm. to across an ocean and you part of you part of me is thinking okay look i can support israel i can be against anti-Semitism, but maybe i just need to also get on with life and not be so vocal about this like do i really want to repeat this all over again in another country. But meeting Irving and, you know, hearing his story and everything he experienced and just how much it meant to him to, and why he continued to speak out. And, and Irving passed away sadly last year. Um, and just how much joy Irving had in day-to-day life. You know, he was just this incredible human being. And that really just inspired me. It was like, you know, you are... And I'm not downplaying anything. Like, yes, you've had some challenges, but if everything Irving has faced, but here he is still speaking out, still, you know, regardless of the challenges, mm-hmm. this is important. And we just, you know, I, I kind of bond formed from that point on. And because of Kufi, Christian Schneider for Israel, that we first met, and we just continued to cross paths. And yeah, Irving was a very special human and you know he the amount of people he's impacted and hopefully will continue to impact with this movie will you know it's just a testament to his life mm-hmm. you could tell his just heart his passion and yet at the same time i think as you talk about in the movie he doesn't look at himself as a victim and that gives him the ability to offer hope to everybody else around him Right. No, 100%. That's a really important point. It, it really is, because I think if if he did view himself as a victim, it would not have been possible for him to do the incredible things that he did. This has got to really have messed with your brain on your view of God. And since my <laughs> since my podcast is about being in awe of God and what he's doing in people's lives and how that motivates them, Can you give us some of that change that now what your view and your awe of God is versus what it used to be? Oh, of course. So I grew up and for many years was a very devout Muslim. And 
I, you know, drifted into more extreme branches of Islam. And so after going to Israel, I abandoned religion and God, period. I, you mm. know, I felt like I'd been lied to. I mean, I had been lied to, but <laughs> that feeling of being lied to just made me think this is all complete nonsense. This is yeah. all. And, you know, I became or self-avowed, self-occurred, I don't know how it worked, but I basically considered myself an atheist. Okay. Um, but I, part of growing up, for me, growing up Muslim, my family were very, study was very important. So, you know, I, to this day, I still know a huge amount about Islamic theology. Uh, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's something I dug very deep into. So for mm -hmm. me, when I was like, okay, I'm an atheist, I want to understand this more. So I read things by Sam Harris, uh, Richard Dawkins, and I was kind of struck by how infantile the writing was. It was uh -huh. this angry, you're all stupid for believing in the God. And <laughs> that's basically the core of this argument. It was, just, you know, it, it just, on a intellectual level, it didn't resonate at all. Yes. And then there was the whole challenge that, that I had, which how can I, as somebody who, as a rational thinker, somebody who digs deep into things, how can I look around or even look at the human body and the nervous system and go, this is a happy accident? Mm -hmm. Like th th that, it just didn't make sense to me. So I began searching for something. You know, I started looking into different faith and belief systems, Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Judaism, uh, Christianity, interestingly, I ignored because oh. the way Christianity is, in my experience, being practiced in the West, in, in the UK, sorry, not the West, in the yeah. UK especially, it, it's a, it's, we have these huge Gothic churches that sit empty. You know, I went to school with people who identifies as Christian, but had never been to church, had never read the Bible, had never even read maybe a word in the Bible. So I completely dismissed it. And I even tried to reconcile myself with Islam because that's what I knew. I just couldn't. My personal views and how an Islamic doctrine just didn't align. So in this whole process, you know, I'm still searching. I moved to Canada and Judaism resonated a lot for me and i think for a number of reasons one the similarities that there are with islam mm -hmm. and two you know as i was speaking out more against anti-semitism i was coming into contact with more jewish people and you know spending time in israel so so that's kind of where i was leaning and then very dramatically and unexpected for me <laughs> i ended up picking up the Bible in a, in a hotel room. It's very cliche, too, so I apologize. <laughs> it's very cliche. Like, it's very, you know, Christian movie-ish almost. It's, 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 but I, working for Christians United for Israel, I was not a Christian at the time. And, you know, I would joke that this is not going to be some sort of radical conversion story. Like, this isn't It's going to happen. But it was after an event. I started reading the Bible in a hotel room in, in Arizona, and <laughs> a, a series of events would happen over the next, I would say around two-week period, which kind of, which made me realize there was something greater at work here, and in, you know, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, on my own, made a declaration that I accepted Jesus as my 
savior and messiah and i felt a tangible I, here's the way i explain it i've explained it like this yeah. a few times i did not realize up until that point in my life that i was in a prison but the moment that i accepted jesus i felt the prison door open and felt freedom uh, it, was only, it was only at that moment i was like wow and now looking at my life through that lens i mean it's a lot of things make sense that didn't make sense because all of this process had to happen because i couldn't have just gone from being a radical muslim to a christian it just wouldn't have happened like all of this was leading somewhere and mm -hmm. it makes a lot a lot of things make sense if i look at the things the blessings that i've had in my life because of the decisions and the directions that have happened. I mean, it's, it's unfathomable to me. I, I genuinely sometimes sit and think this makes absolutely no sense. Like this mm -hmm. is just, it's unfathomable. But you know, I think a lot of times it's, it's how God takes us through all those things, especially when you've, you've come from the different things that you've seen from being radicalized then to seeing what happened really to the Jews and, and then getting to this point where you've studied all these other religions, and then you hit Christianity, and it's it's like God is just working inside of you to say, look, you've got all this now experience and understanding and ability. Doesn't this make sense over here? Right. And Does that sound right? No, 100%. It's, you know, it's, and it, look, there are some people who at their very first, you know, interaction with a Christian or their first interaction with you know the gospel are all in that just wasn't me and right. but it is i had to go on that journey to go look here is everything that is out there now this is this is the truth and it it's i am speechless when i think about it and even now like to put it into words it's it's incredible i mean i can't like how does somebody from a pakistani muslim background Growing mm -hmm. up in a you know pretty deprived area of the UK, be where I am. I mean, it's it's God. Like it, it's not me. Like that is yeah. You know, it because I'm just it's God, and and that's really important. I think for me to remember. I think for for anyone, it's very easy to forget what God has done for us in mm -hmm. our high points in life. It's very yes. easy to forget. It's our low points when we need Him, we call to Him. But it is like this is all God. Like there, there's no because there is no way I could have humanely achieved what I have and got to where I am and all these. Like it just would not have been possible. Yes. So we'll praise God for that. So now, kind of give me, you know, what uh, just a couple things about the the movie reactions that you've had so far, and you know what you hope will be the effect of the movie as it comes out on June 7th. I think one of the important things about the movie, it is so real and authentic, both my experience and Irving's. I mean, we were living a lot of this real time and we were like processing these things real time. And I, I hope that comes across. I think right now this is so important. Just with the rise in anti-Semitism we've seen in this country, we have to always be alert. It's evil, and Irving would say this, the Holocaust didn't just happen. It didn't just explode out of nowhere and happen. There were always, there were signposts on the way to Auschwitz. And yeah. with any sort of bigotry and hatred, 
it starts with words. And we're seeing those words being written on social media of protests. And we have to constantly be on guard against that level of evil in our society. We have to. And as, as Christians, we don't have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines when evil is rising. We don't. It's not an option for us. So I, I hope that, especially for, for Christians who watch this, that this is an eye-opener and gives them a moment to pause and think, what can I do? Because it's every single one of us to speak out against evil. It takes every single one of us to speak out against bigotry and hatred. Because, you know, we are here to make a difference. We're not here to just be along for the ride. Was so true. When this comes out, anything particular you want to tell people to be watching for? Is it just coming out on the seventh? Is it going to be in theaters for a few days, or just one? Is it a one-day showing? And then I know uh, it's going on DVD then on the twenty-first of June. Right. So on the seventh, it will come to streaming. So it'll be on Amazon Prime uh, on the seventh. We had a movie release, I think, in theaters about a year ago, middle of COVID. So <laughs> this will be the the streaming release. So seventh of June, it'll be on Amazon Prime, I believe, and and maybe a few other platforms. Okay. So look for it on Amazon Prime. What What's next on your agenda after this? Um, I guess carry on. We carry on fighting the fight, basically. Um, you know, I, st- I work for Christians United for Israel. I'll be speaking at some churches up and down the country. We have our conference. And also I'm studying for a bachelor's in biblical theology at the moment, too. So balancing all these things. So, so I'm going to put your media things up on my website but anything you want to tell people about if they want to follow you or how do they get involved with uh, the uh, Christians United for Israel? Sure. So with Christians United for Israel, if you go to our website, cufi.org, that is the best place where it has all the information. We have resources. There are ways you can contact me and other members of staff on the website. Similarly, for, for more information on the film, neveragainthemovie.com has all the information about release dates, when it'll be streaming, and, and any other information that you may need. Okay. Last question for you. I'm obviously going to promote people to see this movie, to get a better understanding and grasp, try and bring friends to get a better understanding and grasp. What else, or is there anything else that people can be doing to help stop this tide? So I think it's twofold. I think one, prayer. I think genuinely prayer is incredibly important. You know, you, you are equipping yourself in one of kind of the best weapons God has given us. But two, I think just action and speaking out. I think it's very easy when we see bigotry and hatred on social media to call it out because it's almost we're all faceless. Yes. You know, it's very easy. But it's when we hear comments and, and things within our own friend group or our family or at the dinner table and that's where we have to speak up. And and for me, that's a lot more difficult because mm. it's a lot more personal and it's people you care about, it's people you love. And, you know, they may be saying it as a joke or it's just something they grew up in. But that's where we make a tangible difference. That's where we, we stop hatred and bigotry and, and really can start changing conversations. Good point. And that is, the, as we talked before we got on, how tough that is. So that's really good right. advice. 
Wow. All right. Well, Kasim, thank you. God bless you for doing what you're doing. We will pray for you. You know, we'll pray for the movie, the documentary, continued blessings and open doors to you as you go through trying to make sure that people become more aware and educate them on this. No, I'm Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And All right. God bless really you. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Definitely. Thank you so much. All right.